AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Hey everyone, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra, combining raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Yes? How's it going? Oh, you know, Josh, it's Monday. I don't like recording on Mondays. Oh, neither. We're in this stupid room that you hate. My head hurts, too. Jerry's all bummed out. What a life. What are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> this isn't a big upper of a topic, either. The desertification? Yeah, maybe it's a good thing we're not in like some chipper mood. Yeah, I think you're right. Because, as you know, Chuck, desertification is one of the overlooked, I think, problems, crises facing humanity right now. Yeah, man. Big time. Uh, especially here in the cushy U.S., especially in the very lush southeastern U.S., Yeah, it's kind of easy to overlook. And we even sure. had like a pretty huge drought a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're like, oh, no, we have slightly less drinking water than we did before. Right. Well, there were some other slight issues. We had some uprooting of trees and such. Sure. There was that. Uh, there wasn't nearly as much boating or jet skiing True. as usual, Yeah, uh, which I'm sure affected a lot of the... Um, gas stations around some of the lakes, right? Yeah, there were probably some uh, impacts here and there that we didn't think about. Um, And you're probably right. But it's also even easier to overlook some of the impacts that take place during desertification in some of the more marginalized societies in the world, right? Yeah, for sure. So what are we looking at? I think it's like uh, 90% of the people who live in uh, areas that are at risk of desertification are um, the poor, undeveloped countries, right? Right, Josh. It's about 2 billion people. Right. And for these people, there's a kind of a slightly more problems than not being able to jet ski as much as one would like. Um, I think the infant mortality rate is about 10 times that of an industrialized nation. Indeed. Um, and something like 24,000 people die every day from starvation. A lot of these people are found in desertified areas, right? Right. Let's get to the, to the nitty-gritty of this, Chuck. What is desertification? <laughs> I'm just going to say it in my words. Okay. Desertification is when um, uh, natural things take place and then man-made things take place to cause essentially what is the degradation of the soil itself to where it will erode, things won't grow there, and basically, you're left with a barren desert landscape. Right. That's 
Chuck's definition. That's a good definition, Chuck. Thanks. It's dead on. Uh, the two chief processes that hasten desertification are um, poor soil management, right? Yeah. And overuse of the land. Right. This land is not uh, meant to have lots and lots of people and cattle grazing. Not people grazing, obviously. People farming, <laughs> right. cattle grazing. Right. And um, with the land we're talking about specifically are seri- em- se- semi-arid regions, right? Drylands. Right. And we have one of those here in the United States. You uh-huh. wouldn't think of it because it's artificially managed, but the Great Plains are yeah. semi-arid. Oh, yeah. Um, and because of those uh, man-made interventions like uh, overuse uh-huh. um, and intensive farming techniques mm-hmm. that uh, – did, and, and not observing soil conservation, uh, we actually did experience desertification. Yes, sir. The in dust the last bowl. century. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. We got all these newfangled uh, farming equipment and said, hey, we're kind of poor because the depression is coming up. And um, so we need to use all this stuff to really farm a lot. Right. And that's what happened. And then the Dust Bowl happened. And, uh, but we got it back. Well, there, there, well, there was this perfect storm that happened actually in the, in the Midwest in the late twenties. Since it was the roaring twenties, everybody was making tons of cash and farmers, um, started borrowing heavily. Right. Uh, and then the, the depression hit and much like today. Um, the values of land dropped. Uh, the prices of, um, commodities, including agricultural products dropped and people yeah. started having trouble making payments, banks foreclosed. At the same time, the the farmers were hit really, really hard financially. They were also hit really, really hard naturally uh, because as they tried to step up farming to increase yields, um, all they did was strip the land of its nutrients. Yeah. And it, it became this uh, vicious cycle where – the harder they tried to cull stuff from the land, the worse off it got. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, n- nothing would grow. Yeah, well, bring in a drought, which is the second component. Right. Mother Nature lending a hand. Yep. And, well, not a hand, a, b- a backhand. <laughs> and uh, that's when the Dust Bowl occurred. And we were in bad shape in the Great Plains for a long time. Yeah, apparently these things were uh, like the dust storms that came up. Uh, like trains would miss their stops in the middle of these things because they couldn't see. Um, it's static electricity is easily generated by these particles. Right. So cars would stall. Crazy. Um, so people started dragging chains behind them to ground the cars to keep them from stalling. Um, people would, uh, put wet sheets up over their windows yeah. and like you would have drifts of dust like in your house with all the doors and windows closed. It would still get in. It was everywhere. Crazy. Yeah. It was bad, bad news, bad times. Right. Right. But we got it back. We did. Like I said. Yeah. Great Plains, farming once again, rich soil once again. And that's a little teaser because we can we can combat this, but we'll we'll get to that at the end. Right. So it's happened here. It's happening in other places. It's actually happening at a pretty rapid pace, isn't it, Chuck? Yes, Josh. Stats. Are you calling for stats? I am. Uh, new deserts are growing at a rate of 20,000 square miles a year. Yeah. And uh, when you consider that half of the total land mass of the earth is dry land and 10 to 20% of that land is already degraded, then it's not looking good. No, it's not. And there's not a lot of processes in place right now that are going to stop this, although we have a pretty clear picture of what's causing this, right? Like we said, poor soil conservation. Yeah, it's pretty easy, actually, yeah. when you look at it. It's not like a, the most complicated problem. Well, let's talk about the problem first. Like, what, what's going on? What's 
What, what causes desertification? Well, if you're talking ecosystems like the human body and like any living thing, you're looking for balance. What right. was the word we used in the uh, homeostasis? Homeostasis. Yeah. So an ecosystem wants balance as well, and anything to throw it out of balance is not good, which is what happens with uh, desertification. When you get infrequent wa- uh, rainfall, you lose um, what's called humus, which is the really good organic uh, topsoil. Right, made that's from what you want. Dead plant and animal material, right? Yeah. So a bobcat's walking along, gets struck by lightning, falls <laughs> yeah, over sure. onto the ground. That's great for Mother it's Nature. It's going to degrade and, uh-huh. and uh, be eaten by microbes and then turned into humus, which supports soil. Yeah, and we're talking carbon, nitrogen, sulfur, phosphorus, all these things that make your topsoil really fertile. Right, and a, there's nothing wrong with a semi-arid region. Like it, it, it's not a desert. You don't want to confuse the two. Yeah. The problem is, is when humans come in and say, "We really need this land, yeah. this semi-arid land, and we're overuse. going to overuse it," then it does become a desert, and it becomes overused um, by not rotating crops. Yeah. Um, by not using uh, or overusing chemical fertilizers. Right, not composting like you should. Right, exactly. And um, kind of irresponsible irrigation techniques, right, allowing for runoff, that kind of stuff. The problem is, is like you said, humus is so essential that if you, if you strip the soil of its humus, yeah, no matter how much uh, rainfall comes along, it's not going to restore that balance. No. Even worse... The rainfall is just going to carry the soil away. Yeah, just erodes it further, which is the problem. So uh, what are some of the things that we're doing to to the semi-arid regions? Let's say a bunch of people suddenly come to a semi-arid region and say, we're going to start farming here. What, what are some of the uses of this land that, that can be problematic? Well, grazing. Yeah. Grazing of cattle, like irresponsible grazing. What happens is a lot of poor people might migrate to an area because – their area has been degraded. So you have a mass migration of people that will bring in all their cows, so they're overusing the land. All of a sudden the cows are grazing, and you know you, you can't fault them for saying it's irresponsible grazing because they're trying to survive. Sure. And they eat all the grass, let's say. Right. Grass is, is in trees are essential for holding that topsoil together. Yep. So once that's gone, or firewood was another one, right? Yeah, because if they're looking for firewood, right, if you're using that right. for fuel, Which then they do <clears throat> like crazy. You're going to cut down trees because there's your fuel right there. And when you cut down a bunch of trees, you actually um, make the land much more reflective, which dries out the atmosphere. It causes more evaporation. Yeah. Um, and also, once you lose that that anchor for the soil, the soil gets kicked up as dust. Yeah. So the combination of that more um, that drier climate sure. plus the dust in the air means it's harder for precipitation to form, making the, the area even more arid. Yeah, like compounds on itself. Sure. I, I got a stat. I was telling you that the mass migration of people. Yeah. Uh, in the 1990s, dry land regions um, grew 18.5% in population. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. 
Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace, and in particular, Squarespace's Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system only from Squarespace. It makes it easier than ever for anybody to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. That's because you start with a best-in-class website template, then you customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You can stretch your imagination online with Fluid Engine, built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. Yep, you can use your site to easily sell custom merch through your online store. You can upload, organize, and access all your content from one place with your asset library. And those amazing website templates are all flexible with designs for every category and use case. That's right. So just go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. <laughs> I mean, these are places that shouldn't have that many people there anyway. Right. They were probably already overtaxed. Then mass migration happens, and it's just a recipe for disaster. Right. And the problem is humans migrate a lot faster than land can be restored. Right. Yeah, much faster. So you, you're, you move from one place to another, use that place up, you move to the next one, there, there's, you're eventually going to run out of places to move. Yeah. Right? That's what's happening. It is. And it's easy to overlook here in the U.S., although... I don't think we should because we we do have very um, we have really good irrigation techniques in yeah. the Great Plains these days. Sure, but if you look at it, it's we're not there's not a bunch of people living on the Great Plains. It's pretty sparsely populated, but humans in the U.S. are virtually represented on the Great Plains because you've got one percent of Americans farming for the rest of America, right? Right. So there's like a virtual demand on that land through farming. Because it produces the food we eat. So we may right. not be living there, sure. but we're using that land just as if we were indigenous yeah, people all living on the Great Plains. Right. And the water that's used there actually is virtually exported elsewhere, right? Yeah. So we're, we're putting in water inputs there. It's growing and we're taking that, that water basically and exporting it to the places where we eat that food because we don't have to use the water here. So it's like a virtual export of water. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, being American is we import a lot of our food right? because we can afford to do so. So we get food from all over the world. One of the things that exacerbates the uh, desertification is these migrating poor people, they're relying on the natural ecosystem around them pretty much only. Right. They can't afford to – sometimes in regions where they just can't import anyway. Plus, they can't afford to because – Prices are skyrocketing for, like, wheat and soy. Mm -hmm. So they need to use the grass that's behind them and the cow that's eating it right. and the little tiny river full of dirty water. Yeah, because if you're cutting down trees for fuel, you're probably not exporting a lot of stuff. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. 
Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Hey everybody, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. That's right. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or you can check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominant power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. I got another stat for you. Let's hear it. You ready to be creeped out? I am. Uh, 50 million people will be displaced by desertification in the next 10 years. I know. I saw that. So it says peopleandplanet.net. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And they're going to places, like we said, that's not, aren't necessarily, you know, fertile oases anyway. Right. So it's just making everything worse. And again, if you don't have the money to import food, you don't have the money to virtually import water. Hence the 24,000 people that die every day of starvation. Yeah, every day. Wow. That's a very sad stat. Like you said, though, Chuck, um, so just let's provide a quick recap, right? You've got a semi-arid region that looks kind of lush. You know, it doesn't look like a desert. Right. You come in. You start planting. Mm -hmm. You use too much chemical fertilizer. You uh, overgraze. You cut down trees for fuel. Sure. You don't rotate your crops. And you're making a living. A few people can do this, and it can be sustainable. But when too many people start doing it, then the the humus is lost in the soil. And uh, the, um, the land starts reflecting back into the sky. So sure. precipitation goes down. The soil is loose. Storms blow in. Right. And you got nothing. You have desert. Erosion and desert, yeah. How do you combat this? Well, Josh, it's not easy. It's actually fundamentally easy, but it's hard because not enough people are taking part. Right. And it's such a, it needs to be done on such a massive scale, right? Exactly. Uh, what you have to do is start at a grassroots level, is what they say. Yeah. And uh, you need to go in there. We, the people like the UN, I know, has a group. We'll plug them in a second. And you go in and you teach these people long-term benefits, teaching them to think long-term as far as rotating crops, right. uh, terracing the land, proper irrigation techniques. So they're not so short-sighted in just trying to get the crop this year. you got to teach them. It's hard to do. That's what we did in the um, late 30s and early 40s. The federal government 
um, was like, wow, we our nation's breadbasket is a desert now. We have right. to do something. But they determined that they couldn't constitutionally force farmers to use improved soil techniques. So they turned to the states to basically force them to, and they created soil conservation districts uh, and made it virtually free to farm and and undertake these soil conservation techniques. So they're like, we're going to provide you with everything you need. Just do this, right? Um, Use contour plowing to to trap water better when you irrigate. Um, The federal government also planted between 1935 and 1942 185,000 miles of trees. Yeah, that's a huge one because right. trees, not only do they help keep the soil together with the root system, but they block uh, the wind, mm-hmm. and the wind causes a lot of erosion. Yeah. This is all easier done in America, obviously. You got, we got our work cut out against us for developing nations. Well, yeah, and but China, I mean, they're they're starting to get a little more cash in their pocket than they had before, and they have a huge problem with desertification as the Gobi is creeping closer and closer toward Beijing. Yeah, apparently, a dust storm from the Gobi uh, that covers Beijing are uh, some of them are so enormous that they can be detected in the states. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's uh, a big dust storm. It is. China is taking action though. They built a, or they're in the process of planning. A 3,000-mile-long belt of trees along the edge of the Gobi, which was going to help. Yeah. And um, I think what other country is doing that? And uh, Oh, along the Sahara Desert. They're, gonna, they're trying to build a similar, like they're calling it a green wall. Right. And there's a German company. Actually, it's not a company. They're out of Bremen University. I love this one. Um, they figured out that if you take coffee sacks, like mm-hmm. jute sacks, um, fill them with this... Uh, this kind of gel that can hold like a thousand times its weight in water or something yeah. like that. Seeds, compost, and... Uh, sort of like a seed bomb. It is. It's like a huge seed bomb. Yeah. You can drop them out uh, around the desert. That's so awesome. And they will, or at least a semi-arid region, and they will take root uh, w- after just a few rainfalls. Uh, you can also put them in between trees. Mm-hmm. And just leave the trees, yeah. and those trees will grow. I think they had an 80% success rate with the type of holly tree that they were trying to grow. They'd plant two of them and then put one of these bags in between them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, the other thing I thought was cool in the article was that uh, the writer talked a little bit about sometimes the old traditional techniques, the ancient techniques. Yeah. They were like really on target with what they were doing, and sometimes a modern way doesn't work as well. So in Spain, uh, in a British company has been renovating a 1,000-year-old uh, Moorish irrigation system. Yeah. How cool is that? It's just cool that there's a 1,000-year-old irrigation system yeah, still true. around. Yeah, Chuck, there's, um, I mean, unless you feel like going to China or sub-Saharan Africa and plant trees, there's not a lot you could do as like a Stuff You Should Know listener, right? Except... Or is there? Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the key ways of preventing desertification or slowing it, I guess, is encouraging um, indigenous societies to look for alternative means of of sustaining themselves, I guess. Yeah, besides farming and agriculture. Right. And, you know, there's things like uh, growing herbs and uh, things you can make oil extracts from and using them as soaps and stuff like that. Uh So I guess if you wanted to do something here in the States or in Norway... Sure. Uh, you would maybe kind of look for something like that and start buying them en masse, yeah, online. Uh-huh. Does your does uh, Emily sell those on Love Your Mama? 
Uh, well, she sells her own soaps, but she doesn't. Does she use oils from the Gobi or anything? <laughs> no, she tries to buy local, actually. Right on. That's not local. No. <laughs> no, it's not that local. I'm going to shame her for not shipping in her essential oils from the Gobi Desert. <laughs> right, right. You got anything else on desertification? Yeah, just if you want to read a little bit more on uh, how you can participate or at least support and write letters, that kind of thing. Uh, the UN has a cool site, the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification. And that is uncd.int. Nice. And you can click on Action Programs, and that's programs spelled with two M's and an E. Yeah, British. They're silly that way. Sure. So uh, it's pretty cool. You can click on Action Programs, and they have it. There isn't one action program because it's got to be very specific to the land. So you click on that, and you can go to Africa, and you can go to a subregion of Botswana and find out. Like you can download a PDF to see exactly what they're trying to do. So cool, it's kind of cool just to educate yourself. Or you can start collecting jute coffee bags and mail them to Bremen University. Yeah, seed bombs. So here you go. Uh, if you want to know more about desertification, arguably the greatest crisis humanity faces right now, uh, you can type that word in. Remember, just one S in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for listener mail. Indeed, Josh. I'm going to call this those crazy, wacky Aussies. Okay. We have a lot of Aussie listeners. We hear from them quite a bit. And uh, they are wacky people, and we need to make it down there at some point. (laughs) Okay. Although I don't think you could ever stomach that flight, could you? Uh, I'm going to Japan. That's 14 hours. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, This comes from uh, Chris from Australia. I listen to your podcast all the time. I'm sure it's a clinical addiction. And I thought you needed to know about... Cow pat lotto. You know what a cow pat is? It's poop. Yeah, cow pie, cow poop. Uh, cow pat lotto is recognized but certainly not common event in rural Australia where a paddock is plotted into sections. I don't know what you would call it. I don't know, an area of land. Maybe you call it a paddock, is what he says. That's what I've always called it. So they split it into sections. Uh, this is all done on paper uh, like a Cartesian coordinate. Gamblers will bet their money on a particular portion of said paddock. When it's decided that it's time to get on with the game, a farm animal, traditionally bovine, you know what's coming, <laughs> yeah. is thrown in the paddock. Gamblers and other locals then sit around eating and drinking and generally making merry and wait for said bovine to take a crap. Wow. So when the aforementioned cow has uh, taken its poo-poo, uh, its coordinates are taken, and the winner is whoever's plot the poo-poo has landed in, obviously. Uh, prizes, I don't know. Maybe the money, maybe they wait for a second and third prize. Uh, although this would indicate an unhealthy cow. <laughs> it keeps going. Right. And maybe they get a turkey or a meat tray or a slab of beer or something. <laughs> That's where I get confused. Wait, a slab of beer? Yeah. What is that, a case? I don't know, maybe. It's Australian for case. <laughs> right. Uh, anyways, generally used as a fundraiser, like a local raffle. So it's like a fundraising thing. And there, as you said, there's like ladies having bake sales and... The guys are all sitting around getting hammered, basically. Oh, yeah, it's Australia. It's Australia. <laughs> uh, generally, it's a great excuse for a suckmore, and that is an Australian uh, synonym for a shindig, a hootenanny, a party, or a booze-up. They call it a suckmore. Okay. So that's from Chris, Australia, red hair. Nice. Thanks, Chris. So now we know about desertification and suckmores. Yes. If you have an interesting term you want to introduce Chuck and I to, Chuck and me to, one of those two, uh, send it an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. 
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey everyone, the Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right, Easter is Sunday, March 31st, and with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com Easter for details.